0: Right, We're doing a theme at the moment of Storyteller, the power of parables. Obviously, we're coming up from next week, we're going to be looking at the Christmas story, the best story ever told. So I've got one more week for us to look at parables in general. And then Wendy's going to come next week and bring us a brilliant message, I know, the Christmas message. We all have a story, you know. We've all got a story and we've been told this over the last few weeks. The last couple of times we've been looking at this issue. And sometimes we feel too scared to tell it. Sometimes we feel like we don't have the eloquence needed to tell our story. Sometimes we think our story has to be about how we came to know Jesus and no other story is interesting or necessary or needed. That's not what it's about. It's about doing life with people and talking and just chatting and learning to listen. I know that learning to listen has been something that I've been... Learning to do because I'm naturally introverted, um, and therefore small talk I find tricky, and therefore I'm always planning the next question and never listening to what's being said, because I don't want there to be an awkward silence. So at the end of a conversation, I often don't know the person's name even I can't even remember that bit because I was so busy trying to think ahead to other questions. so I've had to train myself to learn to listen. Don't come and ask me your name at the end. I won't play I'm not playing. I don't want to upset anyone, but. We need to learn to listen and just do life with people. Um, I just want to tell you a story, but I just want to check. Is Amanda here? Um, Amanda, who I met on the train, who we met on the train on on Thursday? No, she's not here. Well, if you're listening, Amanda, because you said you might listen, I, uh, I hope you enjoy today's little message and I uh, look forward to seeing you again. So when we were on the train on Thursday going up to London, Nikki and I are speaking at, um, we've got one of the venues, we're running a venue at... Um, spring harvest in Minehead at Easter. And so we were going up to London for a training day. It was me, Nicky and James. James Howitt's coming with us. He is going to be the pastor for the young adults. So he's going to be the 18s to 28s, I believe 29s, pastor over there uh, to give them a place, to, a place of connection somewhere to, to belong, someone to chat and have a coffee with if they need to, if they don't want to hang out with their parents. So that's awesome. So the three of us, me, Nicky and James, we were on the train from Chelmsford up into Liverpool Street. And before we got to Ingotstone, James was saying, well, while I've got a captive audience, let's go through some work stuff. And he started to go through a script for one of the cafe church service media pieces. And we were just reading this stuff out and going through it. And then we started talking about my glasses. You know, I've now got glasses, but when to wear them, I'm still in that dilemma. I don't put them on to read and back off all the time. I can't work it out. Um, And we were just joking about that. And then this lady said, sorry for sort of listening in. Have you ever thought of contact lenses? (laughs) So we're like, cool, this conversation has now begun. And so we we started chatting with this really amazing, lovely lady. She was telling me the benefits of contact lenses, but also we just started chatting about life, who we are, what we're up to, and it all began with her asking a question. And can I ask, what was that thing you were just reading out? What is that? So we said about who we are and and what we do and, and about this place and about you guys and about. All the things we do for people that you do as a church for people in the community and the difference you make into people's lives. And we had this most beautiful conversation. We, it was, she was so full of questions. It kept going from just before Ingate Stone all the way to like one minute before Liverpool Street. Um, it, was, it was so brilliant. Our lives were enriched by her story because I made sure that when she just mentioned things in there, I, I sort of heard what, she, what what her family sort of job was and so I sort of asked about that and wanted some information on that because you don't just want to give everything that you've got and just keep speaking and speaking and speaking and speaking and hoping, hoping something might happen we actually had a genuinely lovely conversation with a genuinely lovely lady and we were, we were enhanced by that conversation, it was amazing so that's the power of the stories that we have just having a conversation with someone can be so beautiful you have a story let me encourage you, it is in you just love people, talk to them, and you'll be amazed at what happens. Another story for you. You know that in March, many of you, most of you will know, in March we got the, the phone call from my brother saying they had cancer. Many of you were, were um, with me in the Lake District when we got the call to say that it had spread. And that song, Raise a Hallelujah, you know, we raised that hallelujah, didn't we, guys, at the top of Cat Bells, and we built an altar there, believing God, that Dave's, Dave's cancer would be defeated. I told you a story, which kind of makes me vulnerable, but a picture I'd seen of my brother walking around that corner one day into church and us all standing to our feet and applauding because the cancer was gone. This Tuesday just gone, the cancer has gone. It's such an amazing story. Yes, thank you, God. Totally, totally incredible. He had over 50 tumours in different locations of his body. It was stage four, and the Royal Marsden had said they've never seen anyone go into remission from here. And on Tuesday, they said, you have no evidence of disease anywhere in your body. That is phenomenal. Um, So we are so happy about that. And on, obviously, and on, um, on the 29th, this, you know that sort of awkward service sometimes christmas has happened not quite new year what should we do i'm interviewing my brother on this stage and he's going to tell he's going to tell us the story before he comes in here i'm going to get him to go out there so he can walk in there and we can go whoa! but it's going to be a great time on the 29th of december you know with that story i'm not sort of patting myself on the back but i brought you onto the story even though I didn't know the ending, and the ending could have been so much different, and we've seen so many other people not have that result. And in fact, Nikki's dad, you know, just a couple of years before, had had the same prognosis, but he's now, we believe, with Jesus. We don't always see what, what we're praying for, but if we bring people on the story, people have got a chance to come with us and celebrate and get into our lives and and do it together. So remember, you have a story. Please come 29th of December, that'll be fun. So now you're coming to two cafe churches and the 29th, and then you might as well think, well, let's go to the upper room. That looks fun too. Okay, so let so I get onto my message. Nearly time to finish. Actually, I did know this would happen today. Um, normally, I write about five sides of notes. I've got 10 and a half. That'll take us till about quarter past 12, but most of it, I'm just gonna, whoosh, in, a, ooh, in a very flamboyant way, I'm gonna scroll past. Um, okay, this is a good message. Here it is. Now, that's like, that's a bit strange. That's a strange message, but I had the 12 days of Christmas in my head when I was thinking of what shall I call it. So it's like four calling birds. The numbers are all wrong, right? Two lost sons, one wayward king, and a heart realigned within me. So it kind of works for Christmas, but the numbers aren't right, but don't tell anyone. Um, Do it again? Sure. (laughs) Two lost sons, I could do this at home for you, Nikki. any you like. Two lost sons, one wayward king, and a heart realigned within me and thee. Yeah. Okay. So we've had a couple of stories already, and now we're going to find another one. Um, and this one is 2 Samuel chapter 11. If you've got your Bibles, you'd like to turn there. I haven't got the words coming up behind me on the screen. I've just got that, 2 Samuel 11, but I am going to read it to you. Okay, this is the wayward king. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messages to get her. She came to him, and we slept with her. He slept with her. Okay. So this was a story about King David, great, 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 great granddad of Jesus, one of the heroes of the faith, one of the heroes in the Bible. And this is a time when he was not heroic, when he got it hideously wrong. This was in the spring, when the time when kings go off to war. David didn't go to war, yet he was the king. But David remained in Jerusalem. There's his first mistake. He should have gone to war, but he was still in Jerusalem. Then he went out onto his rooftop and he saw a woman bathing. He should have looked away, but he didn't. He chose to look and think, she is beautiful. That should have been the end of it, but it wasn't because he said, somebody find out who that woman is. Somebody goes and finds out. They come back and say, she's married. Her husband is Uriah the Hittite. He's one of your soldiers. He's out at war, kind of where you should be. He should have stopped there. What am I doing? What am I doing? But he didn't stop there. He went and and sent for her, got her, slept with her. She then conceived. I'm going to paraphrase the rest of the story. She conceived a baby. And suddenly he's panicking. He should have stopped it there. But he didn't. He should have confessed at that moment. But instead, he tried to call Uriah back from the front line so that he could have a few days off and perhaps go back and be with his wife and maybe they could think it was Uriah's baby. So Uriah comes back from the front line and sees King David. And King David says, you you can have a couple of days, you know, go back and spend some time with your wife. But David learns in the morning that Uriah has gone to sleep on a mat outside the palace with the servants. And David's like, why don't you go home to your wife? He's like, I can't go back home to my wife. My, my men are out fighting and they're sleeping out in the open. How can I, how can I go and you know, be with my wife when my men are out there at war? I'm going to stay here on the floor. David's thinking, this is a disaster. So the next night he tries to get Uriah drunk. He does succeed in getting Uriah drunk, but Uriah still has the moral fibre to do the same again and sleep on the floor. This is a nightmare for David. He's thinking, what do I do? I've gone so far down the line. He should have stopped there. But he didn't stop. The story doesn't stop there. David sends a message to the the commander of the armies to say, you need to make an attack. Put Uriah at the front. Get to the front. And when the fighting's at the toughest, retreat, leaving Uriah to get killed. This is a dreadful story. That happens. Uriah gets killed. There's a time of mourning by his wife, and David takes um, Bathsheba to be his wife. And it says at the end here, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. <clears throat> Just because it's done by King David doesn't mean it was the right thing. And I've been reading an article recently which is really interesting about how some people think as long as it's biblical, it's okay. <clears throat> this, some people might find this hard to hear, okay? It's in the Bible, that's good enough for me. You know what? Our call is to be Christ-like and not biblical. Our call is to be Christ-like and not biblical. David here is not acting in a Christ-like way. This is not Christ-like and that's our call. How many opportunities David had to choose the right way? At any time he should have just stopped and chosen the right way. When he glanced, he should have been at war. He shouldn't have looked at her. When he did look, he should have looked away. He shouldn't have called for information. Once he knew who she was, he should have walked away. But all the way through, he didn't. Outrageous, dishonourable, disgusting story from David. Our wayward king. David didn't go looking to be a murderer that day. He wasn't staying at home from war so that he could commit adultery. It's really important that we hear that. He didn't intend to be a murderer and he didn't stay home to commit adultery. But he just allowed a few bad decisions to snowball. snowball. (coughs) Sorry, I have a very sore throat, but that's okay. There's always an opportunity to stop. I wonder how... The thing with these stories from the Bible is it's so easy to look at them just as, oh, yes, look at David. Now it's time to look at me. Where am I making a few simple decisions that are just off kilter? They're just not the right ones, like not going to war if you're David. That may lead to another bad decision here, which leads to another bad decision here. And before I know it, I've gone way off track because being just a few degrees off where I'm trying to head here can by the time you get down the track a few degrees at this end make a long distance from where I should be down the other end there's always an opportunity for us to stop and it's easy for us to read that story and think well actually there was a critical moment <clears throat> once bathsheba had got pregnant there really wasn't much he could do the snowball had picked up too much momentum i couldn't he couldn't stop it you know what we can think that over our own lives too. We've got to a critical mass, the momentum's going, I can't possibly stop what has happened. We can always stop. We can always make the right choice. Judas could have said no at the moment of changing changing money over. He didn't even though he'd gone to do it, he could have said no at any stage. It gets harder to say no and do the right thing the further along we are. The more times we've said yes to the wrong thing, the harder it is to to say no. But it's not impossible. And today, that's sort of the end of that thing, and a heart realigned within me. One of the things I think God wants to do in us today, very simply, is to realign our hearts. Where we've made the odd decision that may not seem like much at the moment, it could lead to much worse down the track. And God just wants... Come on, guys, let's just realign our hearts. Let's get back on track to what I've called you to, to the people I've called you to be, Christ-like. Christ-like in every circumstance. The story goes on. 2 Samuel 12, so the next chapter. The Lord sent Nathan to David. Now, Nathan's a prophet, and let me read to you what happens here. This is a parable, but it's not one of Jesus's. But there were some in the Old Testament too. the lord sent nathan to david when he came to him he said there were two men in a certain town one rich and the other poor the rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought he raised it and it grew up with him and his children It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. What a cute little lamb. It was like a daughter to him, the Bible says. Now a traveller came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveller who had come to him. Instead, he took the little ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David... Burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. That's a bold thing to say to the king. You are the man. That's you. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel said. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I did this, this, this. And it talk, goes on and says, you killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. They didn't kill him, you did. You despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. <clears throat> I think if Nathan had come to, come to David and said what you have done is wrong, he may have found himself in prison. He may have found himself kicked out. So he comes in with a story, comes in with a parable, and David is on board. That's his terrible, what a monster. And then there's that moment of, hey, this is you. <laughs> and I think it's all too easy with so many of the stories in the Bible and with the parables for us to think of them as we're just watching on and listening into the story. But there's, there's a this is you moment that's hidden in so many of them, nearly all of them for us. That's you, Pete. As you read it, don't judge the Pharisees and think, oh, they're so religious. That's you. Don't look at the, the, the lepers who don't come back and say thank you to Jesus. Don't side yourself with the one who does come back when he's been healed. Side yourself with the others because That's you. There's so many things Jesus does in your life and you don't come back and say thank you for it. You always think you're the goody in all of the stories. It's time to start reading them and knowing that there's a you're the man moment, you're the woman moment going on in these stories. So how about in our lives? Looking at that David story and that little parable, are we playing with fire in any areas? In the springtime, when the kings go to war, David was in Jerusalem. How about this one? At 11 p.m., when the Sims family are tucked up for the night, Pete was on his phone, on the internet, scrolling channels, WhatsApping secretly. Who knows? Because if that's the time I, I should be in bed, then what would I be doing on my phone? And what could happen if I was on my phone and kept those conversations going that really weren't very healthy and then before you know it, it snowballed and terrible things are going on. It is a morning for realignment of our hearts to say, God, I am this far off, I may be this far away now and it seems a mile off, but I'm coming back because we always have a choice when these it's you moments happen. And looking over there, I know a family who have made a decision that their phones have a bedtime. 930 all phones in the house go to bed. That's it. You want to contact them after that? Good luck. Their phones will be asleep. And there's another family who sit over here too, who have no technology upstairs whatsoever. So there's no TVs, there's no iPads, there's no phones, there's nothing. They They're not allowed upstairs. It's just like a little puppy. It stays downstairs. Who knows? I'm just saying that because there are things that we can do that help us. We don't, I don't know what your area of weakness is. I don't know what your area where you're likely to slip is. We all have them. We've all got areas of weakness. We need to guard ourselves against that and learn to align ourselves and become Christ-like. Okay, let's go on. And we will have a look. Ooh, a compass. Um, we're going to have a look at the prodigal son story, the lost son story. Okay? Doing All right. I'm going to go probably to about half past, so we've got about 15 minutes left. You're doing grand. Okay, now this story of the lost son, it's had some really significant that's you moments for me in my life, and it continues to challenge me, and I know we hear about this story quite a lot, but for some of us, it won't be a familiar story. Some of you out there today probably have never heard this story. It will be the first time you've heard it, and I hope it really blesses you. It's in Luke chapter fifteen, and the scene is set at the start of Luke fifteen. <clears throat> Excuse me, where Jesus is has got sinners. Um, that's what it says. I mean, we're all sinners, but it's got people who are sort of notoriously sinners in the eyes of the religious load. Anyway, sitting around him and tax collectors. These were people who were they were of the same um, Background, they were Jewish people, but they were working on behalf of the Romans, fleecing money from them, really not loved by the people at all. These sinners and these tax collectors, they're all around Jesus. And the Pharisees are muttering, what's, What's with this guy, Jesus? He welcomes these sinners and these tax collectors, and he even eats with them. That's even worse in their eyes, having a meal and sharing that sort of fellowship with them. Jesus hears them muttering on, and he says, I'm going to tell you three stories going to tell you a story about a lost sheep a lost coin and then comes this one the one about the lost son <clears throat> they all have similar themes but there's a bit of difference in each of them have a look at Luke 15 if you've never seen it before they're great stories Jesus continued there was a man who had two sons the younger one said to his father father give me my share of the estate so he divided his property between them not long after that the younger son got together all he had My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I've had a few that's you moments in there with being the younger son and being the older son. But as I was thinking about this story, a question came to me. Or a thought, which is how I relate to the brothers is quite a good indicator of my understanding of God. And I want to just sort of unwrap that a little bit today. How your positioning with the brothers belies or betrays what you think about God in some way. So let's start looking at the younger son. He goes off doesn't he you know for those of you who are uninitiated in this story it's really a very big insult to have wanted the inheritance because that would have come when his dad was dead and so it's as though he's saying in my eyes you are dead just give me the money I'm not interested in this family I don't want to do this anymore I don't want to jump through your hoops anymore I just want the inheritance you're dead to me can I have the money and go and his dad amazingly gives him the money that would have been his on his own death he goes out he parties he celebrates he He hires prostitutes. He suddenly has lots of people around him. And then all the money is gone. And he finds himself on his own. And he's a Jewish boy and he's feeding pigs. This is a bad thing. He shouldn't be near pigs, let alone longing to eat pigs' food. And then he realises, doesn't he, about his dad and his dad's servants. He's like, right, I'm going back as one of those. And there's two aspects to the journey that the younger son goes on that I want us to look at quickly. The first is when he goes his own way to do his own thing. And then the second is when he wants to go back to his father's house even though he feels unworthy to be a son. And I think it's really important to realise that we, as the readers of the story that we've just read, we know the end. We know that the father is waiting for the son to come back. The son didn't know that when he took the inheritance and went. He had no idea whether there would be any welcome for him. He went his own way, did his own thing. But we know the end of the story. That's a real advantage to us. But I think sometimes that can be a disadvantage. See, the young man didn't know that there was the safety net of the ever-forgiving dad. He could risk doing his own thing knowing that his dad was there. And If you find yourselves at the moment in the shoes of the younger son in your life, that you have just gone away and done your own thing, know this your father in heaven is looking out for you and waiting to come running down the driveway and give you a massive great hug please don't hear that that isn't happening he loves you and he is longing for you to return but for some of us who've known the story for a while like me growing up I think maybe the story may have subconsciously given me permission to misbehave particularly while I was away at uni I knew the end of the story I'd been the elder song for too long. I'd always been a good boy at church. I'd grown up in church. I'd, I'd always been around it, and loads of other people were doing whatever they wanted and then getting saved, and that was lovely. And me, I was just a, I was fed up with that, and I thought, well, when I go to uni, I can mess around a bit because I know that, you know, I'm no longer even worthy. Don't worry, I know you're coming running to give me a hug. I could, I could see that God would forgive me if I turned back to him. I don't know whether that's me rewriting my history but I know subconsciously that would have been in there and I know for many of us that subconsciously still works today because it still works for me because we know there are things we shouldn't really do but better to ask forgiveness than ask permission or whatever. You know, There are things in our lives where we're just a little bit off alignment. We're a tiny bit off alignment for what God has for us He's saying to us, challenging us in our spirit, and we know it. Don't watch that box set. Not good for you. Don't do it. Oh, I'll watch it. Everyone's watching it. It's well written. It may be well written, but it's not good for you to watch. Don't watch it. Okay, I won't watch it. I have watched it, and I'm sorry I watched it. I'll never watch it again. Because we know the end of the story. And sometimes that gives us permission to have a prodigal son moment, knowing that we can come back and say sorry at the end of it. Once we've got it out of our system, that isn't how it's supposed to be. And I think that that shows an understanding of God of being a bit of a mug. I can do whatever I want, He's always going to be there for me. He can be used in some way. He's so merciful, He's so forgiving, He's so loving. I can do what I want whenever I want to. He'll always be there for me. To that, I just want to say beware of consequences. He will always be there for you. Here's a consequence. Not all of my friends who did what I did at uni and turned away from God for a while have come back to him. Here's another consequence. My years of university are not my glory years. I can't stand them. People, I can't, go to reunions. I can't do any of that stuff because people want to relive what we, what we got up to and the fun we had. It's, oh, I can't bear it. It feels like another person. I also regret fully that, that some of those people may, I may be their introduction to Jesus for their life. I totally screwed it up. And I know God has forgiven me and I find it harder to forgive myself and maybe sue deeper prayer. No, I'm okay. I could have deeper prayer. But things replay. You can't unsee What you see, you can't undo what you do, you can't unremember, you can't forget the stuff that comes to mind. There are consequences, even though there is a dad who is running down the path, but we mustn't take God to be a mug and do whatever we want, knowing that he's so forgiving. Romans 6 puts it this way. What are we to do then? Should we sin to our heart's content, since there's no law to condemn us anymore? What a terrible thought. Don't you realise that grace frees you to choose your own master? But choose carefully. For you surrender yourself to become a servant, bound to the one you choose to obey. If you choose to love sin, it will become your master. And it will own you and reward you with death. But if you choose to love and obey God... He will lead you into perfect righteousness. What an amazing passage. Romans 6. Let's not serve the enemy by surrendering to him. Let's surrender everything to our loving dad. Another one about the younger son. That's him when he's off. How about when he's coming back? I'm unworthy to be called your son. Maybe we feel like that sometimes. The ways we've behaved, the things we've thought, the things we've said, the things we should have done, we didn't do. Oh, it's all right for this lot. They're all sort of holy people. But if you knew my story, God wouldn't want any part of it. I'm not worthy of God's love. That's a lie. Hear that today. That's a lie. The good news is there is a dad who loves you. The Pharisees were grumbling about these tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus aimed these stories at them. The lost sheep, the lost coin, And the lost son to say that no one is off limits. Stop grumbling about these people and thinking they're so sinful they shouldn't be around me. I've come like a doctor to to heal the sick, not to the healthy. We're all in need of a savior, we're all in need of God. You, if you're feeling distant and unworthy, are the reason that He came at Christmas. He came to bring you life and restore you back to the Father. Make me a servant. The younger son's going to say. What does this unworthiness say about God? Whenever you felt in that place, you know, it kind of says that you think that God's love and forgiveness and grace and mercy are limited. That some people are forgivable, but I'm not. That some things are forgivable, but some are not. Our God's love isn't to be abused and to be mocked, but similarly, it is big enough for anything and everything we've done. So let's realign our thoughts about our dad and about his love. I've got one thing I want to say about the elder son. Who in this I thought i call him the other lost son. He's a bit lost too. He's going to inherit one day. He's seen as the good boy in the story. He works hard for his dad. And loads of people in church have grown up feeling like the older son. They can relate much more to the elder son than the young one. And most people side with the elder son's annoyance in this story. I used to. Still find myself doing it sometimes. I've never found anyone who hears the older son's story saying, that's so unfair, you never even killed a blooming goat for me. I've been here all this time. And people will hear that story and go, yeah, older son, stop moaning. You've got everything. You know, it's like, you can imagine him washing up with his dad. And he's, you know, if I'm there washing up with my dad, and my dad's just released some money and bought my dad a BMW, my brother a BMW. And I'm like, Dad, you brought Dave a BMW? You've never even bought me anything. He's like, everything I've got's yours. Look at us standing here and washing up together. It's like, yeah, but it's not quite the same, is it, Dad? (laughs) Like, you know, everything you've, you've got is mine, but I was still out in the fields working. Like, what's going on? It's not really fair. I always used to think, that's rubbish, it's so rubbish, everything I've got is yours. You know, it's, it's true, not it's, not it's a lie, but it's like it is a bit pants for the elder son. That's rubbish, I haven't even had a party, I've got nothing. And I think that sometimes this shows to us that we, somewhere in us, we're religious people who think that God is unfair. And we think that, you know, that parable of the workers, the vineyard workers, where they all get the same wage, whether they've worked all day or right at the end. Some of us are like, oh, that's unfair. God isn't about fairness in the way that we see it. He's about justice. He's about restorative justice. He wants to give everyone the same wage in that thing because he wants to love everyone and give them access to heaven. And in this story, this is about restorative justice. I want you restored. I want you back in relationship with me. That's what it's all about for me. It's not about this is fair. You've got you've had a tenor, so you can have a tenor. That's not how... How God's working in this story. Maybe we think that we side with it because we're a little bit religious and we've worked hard and we've done everything we're supposed to do. Maybe our view of God is a bit more as a master and we're the servant rather than dad and we're the children. I think that if we get that understanding today again, that we are children of God. We are children of the loving Father. We're not his hired hands. We don't have to work for him to, to gain his approval. Everything that he has is for, is for us. We have access to it all. It's a hard one, that one. Because it's easy to hear that and then say, yeah, but he still didn't have a, a, <laughs> a feast, did he? It's tough. But I've never heard anyone not feel sorry for the elder son. And I think maybe that's because we don't have a full understanding, and of course we don't, of the grace, mercy, and love of God that is so vast and so enormous. And we don't fully understand our relationship as children and the inheritance that we live in, that we live in day to day. Because our Heavenly Father's not about to die and give us something, we've got it already. We live in the inheritance as his children already. So maybe we need to realign. I said I'd go to a half past, and quite incredibly, I just did. So it's time to realign. <clears throat> and I would like us to um, potentially get some prayer if you'd like to do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read out a few areas that we've looked at this morning. And if you just want to realign your hearts, get back a few degrees or 180 degrees in these areas, then in a moment, I'm just going to ask you to come forward. Um, Sue, is Sue around? Nah, they're all gone. Um, We'll come to the front. Oh, there you are, Sue. (laughs) Hi, Sue. You know you always sit there unless you're hosting. We all have our seats. Um, I do. No, my glasses are only for this distance. Um, Where do you want us, Sue? Should we just come... Okay, just come to the front if you want prayer in a moment. So here we go. We're going to realign our hearts. From David and that story. Let's not allow the snowball of bad decisions to pick up speed in our lives. Let's remember that we always have a choice. Let's realign this morning. From the younger son. Let's not be a slave to sin. Let's not allow it to rule over us and make poor choices now because we know God will forgive us later. Let's realign that thinking this morning. Also from the younger son, let's know that nothing that we've done or could ever do is beyond the scope of God's forgiveness and that he's waiting to receive you home into his loving arms. Realign your thinking and come home this morning and if you don't know Jesus, it's a great day to give your heart to him and have your life transformed forever. And finally, from the elder son. Maybe we're guilty of siding with the elder son because we haven't understood what it means to be a child in the house of God and not a servant. Maybe we've confused loving justice with what we as humans think is fair. And maybe we've got a religious or a judgmental streak of other people that we need to let go of. Let's realign our hearts this morning. So why don't we stand together? I'm going to pray. And then I'll invite anyone who wants to have a bit of extra prayer. That'd be great. So, Lord, we thank you for the power of these stories. And, Lord, we know that it's not just us looking on, but we're involved in these stories. We can always see ourselves in there somewhere. Lord, would you open our hearts and minds this morning to hear from you in the areas that you'd like us just to realign our thinking and our understanding. God, we thank you that your word is alive. And we thank you that you have so much for us to learn, to understand, to move into, to grow in. And Lord, we just want to say that we love you. We commit ourselves to you again and say, come and have your way in us this morning. Amen.